In 2016, Amnesty International adopted a policy recommending the decriminalization of sex work as the best way to reduce violence in the industry and safeguard workers and victims of sex trafficking. The proposal caused an uproar from feminist campaigners who believe that decriminalization will legitimize an industry that is harmful to women and girls. Meanwhile, sex workers rally for better working conditions and legal protection. So what we just tapped into here is a feminist debate that has been going on for decades, and we are not going to solve it in 30 minutes. But we will introduce the different feminist stances on sex work for you, explain why sex work is a feminist issue and what can be done in terms of activism and the law. But before we get into all of that, um, I'd just like to welcome everyone who's listening to the second episode of a podcast of one's own, and today's topic, Feminisms and the Feminist Sex Wars. And a huge thank you again goes out to Dr. Holly Davis, who hosted our last session on Tuesday. She is a lecturer at Edinburgh University, and she has a lot of experience because she worked with sex offenders. She worked in emergency shelters with sex buyers and victims of sex trafficking, etc., etc. So she did amazing research on um, sex work and sex workers' rights activism and sexual violence. Um, so, yeah, um, we had a really good session. Um, so good. If you're listening, Holly, thank you again. And also a huge thank you to Esther, a president who's oh. joining me today um, to talk about last session. And, yeah, thank you for being here, Esther. Oh, I love being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> Just the two of us today. Um, and, yeah, the first question I have for you is kind of how... Who came up with the topic and why why did we decide to do a session on um, on sex workers' rights activism? Good question. <laughs> um, I uh, actually met Holly last or before summer. I think it was at the start of this year, um, sometime uh, mid mid spring sometime um, when we went to to a play at the. No, it wasn't the Lyceum. I was. We went to a play called Locker Room Talk, mm. uh, and it was basically tackling the issues of language used around um, stereotypes that are really harmful for everyone in society, but especially also for kids. Um, it was a really powerful performance, and she was the one mediating the after-show discussion. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to her after the show, and I I mentioned that I would love for her to come and and talk. Mm. And talk to us about it. Um, and then we were corresponding over summer and trying to figure out what we wanted it to be around, really. Um, and I was thinking it was a really good idea to have it be around how language shapes our perception mm-hmm. of sex and gender and stereotypes and stuff like that. Because it's a really powerful part of uh, w- kind of what constitutes people's perspectives on feminism as well, is how people talk about it. Um, yeah, especially, but then, yeah, she talked a bit about um, the language that is used when people talk about feminism and why, like, where the bad yeah. reputation of the word comes from. Yeah, even yeah. just, like, subconsciously, mm. the way you talk about things, um, if it has a positive or negative connotation, etc. Mm. But then it kind of, like, transformed into a little bit me being interested in what she had um, what she had actually researched more and her, mm. she's so well versed in everything <laughs> feminism yeah. uh, and then it being so early on in the term with new members coming in as well we, we figured it would be ideal to have sort of a little bit of an introduction to feminism in general so go through the, the um, 
the different waves, etc. But also make sure that it's all intersectional. And she, uh, she actually came up with the idea of of discussing sex work, which I had been super interested in, but also a bit hesitant to bring in so early yeah. because it seemed mm-hmm. so controversial. Um, which is also but part of why I wanted about, it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of landed on uh, um, talking about the the progression of femi- feminism to where it is today and and dealing with sex work through uh, a third wave lens, kind of. Mm-hmm. I found it, like, because she came up with the whole, um, the name for the session, Feminisms and the Feminist Sex Wars. Mm. And why why is it exactly that she said feminisms and not feminism because I think some people feel like feminism is just one movement, right? It's yeah, genius. And then you're feminisms, and then you're like, and then, oh my god, how much is this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I thought that was that is such a good way to talk about. It, I think that also mm. uh, is one of the language aspects that's so so interesting because you think that we touched upon it in the session as well that it's really. Uh, kind of very very limited but sometimes as well dangerous to the movement to kind of define it in a very specific way especially just saying feminism and then, then kind of like trademarking mm. that as one specific ideology yeah. when in fact it has a lot of different components and a lot of contradictions within itself and, and that's so true sometimes when when I say I'm a feminist and then someone else like oh that's great I'm a feminist too that that could also mean that we come from two entirely different backgrounds and we're going to have a heated debate about certain issues, like yeah. sex work, for example. Yeah. Because some um, movements in feminism are very inclusive and consider sex workers' rights to be human rights, which they, of yes. course, are. But then there are other... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, and the, this, these are like conversations and mm. debates that you can have with other people, but <coughs> also with yourself. I find myself having these debates internally all the time, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but where do I really stand on this? Do I? Is there is there a universal correct answer to reach? Like, what is the real truth here uh, that I can that I can kind of arrive at and just feel like, no, this is what I what mm. I stand for. And I don't necessarily think there is an answer to everything, and I, I think it's that's why I, I thought it was really good that she she pointed kind of pointed yeah. out and dubbed it feminisms mm. because there's different versions of it. Um, yeah. So the two um, versions of feminism that we mainly talked about in the session were the radical libertarian feminists on the one side and the radical cultural feminists on the other side. So. Um, if you don't know what that means, don't you worry. <laughs> we're going to explain it. It's very interesting. Um, so the radical libertarian feminists somehow managed to combine liberal feminism and radical feminism. It's not an easy task, <laughs> but their main thing is that they're pushing against the connection of biology and gender. So in their like to their point of view, gender must be eradicated. And they also believe that the root of all female oppression lies in women's ability to bear children. Um, So, yeah, um, that was interesting. And um, it kind of, like, intersects a bit with communism in a way that... Mm. So when Marx states that the only way to remove oppression is to seize the means of production, the radical libertarian feminists would say that... um, women must seize the means of reproduction. Mm. So, 
yeah, that's and it those, is, and yeah. it's very, very like to to most people, it's very, very radical. Like that it is se- quite radical. It seems because, like yeah, what <laughs> they're just kind of saying that women shouldn't be the one to mm. to carry out children. So we also talked about these kind of utopian version where kids are just. You can just go yeah. and be like, yeah, we want a kid. Like can our, you breed it for an us? An artificial <laughs> kind of breeding machine. Yeah. That that was some Black Mirror That stuff. is some Black Mirror yeah, shit. Yeah, for sure. And then the radical cultural feminists, they believe that the worst in the feminine and the masculine should be rejected. And then she kind of talked about the sameness versus the difference approach. So the radical cultural feminists believe that men and women are fundamentally different because women, women's nature and like women in mm. general are um, superior to men in a way. Um, mm. Yeah. So their way of solving, like their suggestion to solve that whole issue would be choosing lesbianism. Also yeah. an interesting idea. It's very... But, um, yeah. They just consider heterosexual intercourse um, to, to be, be wrong. Yeah, to be oppressive because it can't be separated from the structural oppression of women that we have in society. Which is um, a really like it would it, which is a really interesting and important an interesting point to make. Point, yeah. uh, however, there's a lot of unpacking to do there, and we have to also mm. recognize that we are all individuals, and it's mm. not necessarily. Uh, it's a very harsh approach. Um, yeah. But also, nonetheless, like I definitely just I'm just gonna plug that right here. Just do. If, if it sounds interesting to you guys that are listening, just research this because all of the different perspectives, it's so easy to hear one side from one feminism and then you immediately discard everything. But there's there can be things that you resonate with that, that are on the other side as well. Mm. Uh, so, like, I encourage everyone to just read up on this because it's genuinely so interesting and it will help you form your own opinions as well. Mm. So in terms of the sex wars, um, just to quickly summarize, the two camps that are fighting basically are the ones that we just introduced. So they both emerged from second wave feminism. And the like at the core of the debate were the questions, what is sex work? What does it really mean? And whether sex is always political? Mm. Which is an interesting question. Um, So... As you might have guessed, the radical libertarian feminists are pro-sex work. They Mm. have kind of like a laissez-faire approach. And the radical cultural feminists on the other side um, consider all sex work to be violence against women. Mm. So these are our swerves. Do you want to explain what swerves be? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will. Uh, We have, um, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with the term TERFs. Which are which is very uh, relevant right now. It's mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, we're experiencing a surge in yeah. in the in the sort of prevalence <coughs> of them, which are trans exclusive um, or excluding um, radical feminists, and then the swerves then would be the sex workers uh, excluding exclusive. feminists, radical, radical feminists. feminists. Yeah. Um, which is then if you define yourself as a feminist sort of looking seeking to protect all women that that is then limited by your view on what is protection and what are women 
Mm-hmm. That those are like the base camps for the turfs and the swerves, I see. I I guess. Yeah. Um, um, and the whole swerve and turf, um, I don't know movement. Mm. I'm just gonna call it a movement. Um, it's apparently very like a an issue in the UK. You know, not in yeah. the US, not so much. Did no. Did you say that? Yeah. No, not as much. Um, I I think especially mm-hmm. and. Currently, uh, just recently uh, at the at the University of Edinburgh, but just in in Scotland, Last uh, summer, yeah. yeah, there's been a lot of uh, anti anti trans kind of just harassment going on, mm-hmm. and yeah, those, just normalization yeah. of turfy behavior, which I think is right, really yeah. really. I see it on Twitter so all upsetting. the time. It's so upsetting, and those those women are invited to like talks and panels and they're yeah. given a lot of attention which it seems to me very this is just my personal view but i feel like it's a very transparent way of practicing what i personally don't w- wouldn't really identify as feminism because i consider Same trans here. women to be just as much women as mm. any other um even like it's i think it's been ignored that for trans women they're even more marginalized and yes. harassed. Like, it's literally... There are even more layers yeah. there. And most of these um, it's even trans-excluding yeah. radical feminists are... I just find it... I just find it a bit unbelievable that they genuinely care about feminism in that case or mm. and that it's not just trying to... Or, or they do care, but they're not willing to let go of any support they have from a controversial... Uh, political side that don't support they mm. turfs are uh, starting to use the the term uh, gender that they're gender critical, critical yeah uh, to not sound as hard harsh but it's yeah. genuinely just transphobia yeah, yeah. and um, what I saw a lot on Twitter was like the the argument that they making was like trans women are kind of erasing lesbian women um, I don't. It's just I don't I, understand that concept trans, in any way yeah, because a trans, trans woman can be lesbian. Yeah, of course. I don't, I, yeah. I just, oh my god! You're mixing gender and sexuality and everything together, and also saying like it's just it's a man in disguise who is invading women's only spaces mm. and stuff. So um, yeah. No, maybe at this point, I think we've made it pretty clear that Gen Sox feminism yeah. is trans-inclusive wanna... <laughs> and sex workers-inclusive. So um... I don't want to. I don't want to push like per- my personal agenda necessarily, but I'm. I feel very confident in uh, in broadcasting that Gen Sox is not not supportive of yeah, turfs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we try to be as inclusive as possible. And I feel like can we, as can a, we be as a can we be excluding radical feminists turf herbs? I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's going on social media. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the problem with the whole debate is also that um, no one really listens to sex workers and to what they're saying and what what they need. And I thought in the session we had on Tuesday. Um, we like Holly made us watch a TED talk by Juno Mack, who is the sex worker. Incredible, incredible really, TED talk. Really, 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 really eye opening. I was um, blown away by how articulate she was. Oh she was, my she was, god! She did yes. so well. And she spoke about the four legal approaches to sex work and why 
um, none of them works basically. Mm. So I thought we could talk, like we could just summarize it for mm. um, everyone who listens and then eventually um, point out why decriminalization is the only thing that actually makes sense and that is actually protecting um, yeah. Yeah, sex workers. Sex workers. Um, I mean, essentially... Um, that has to be the goal, right? You can people can have their different opinions on what they think about selling and buying sex, um, but the core issue that I believe is the feminist issue is the way that it puts women in danger. Well, we now say women because the majority, a large majority of people selling sex are women, are women um, yeah. and the majority of people buying sex are men. Mm-hmm. And this is a generalization, but it's also founded on pretty overwhelming majorities. Yes. Um, so, of course, there are the, the occasional other side of it as well. But but this is this is the, mm. the basis on this discussion. Of this yeah, discussion. so let's talk about the legal approaches. So the first one she spoke about was full criminalization. And this is actually done in, like, pretty much half of the world. Mm. Um, so, yeah, sex work in any way, shape, or form is always... Um, a crime and she pointed out that is a, that it is actually a trap because once you get caught selling sex or um yeah buying mm. sex um you have a criminal record right yeah. and it is really hard to get a just another job another... with that with a criminal record and it also completely ignores the mistreatment by the state and the police and what i actually what was crazy and I didn't I didn't know about this was the whole um, the whole thing that she talked about which is um, apparently how it's done in New York mm. so if you carry condoms with you right mm. it's seen as evidence that you're selling sex or you're potentially selling sex yeah. so you could get arrested for carrying condoms so the sex workers <laughs> have the choice between um, getting arrested or risking being infected with an STD or HIV or whatever, which is the reason why sexual transmitted disease, they spread so quickly because they, they'd rather leave the condoms at home, right? If they were being arrested. They would rather risk having unsafe sex than than getting on a, Mm. on a, on getting, yeah, arrested for working. And, (coughs) but, and I think an important point to make with a full criminalization is that it's a... Um, criminalized to sell and to buy. Yes. So that's like across the board for everyone. But what she also brought up, which I think is a very important thing to make, is that there's so much corruption in the legal system and a lot of... Mm-hmm. There, and there are m- like so many um, examples and, and um, cases where people, women have been arrested for it and then, or threatened to be arrested unless they comply and or give their services mm. quote unquote for for free to these policemen or they mm. they torture them or rape them or whatever mm. uh, and it's and been, then they're it's never and, like this is never brought that, up it's no. never talked about and they do this and they have to just like comply with it so they won't actually get brought to court and, yeah end up in prison right um, um and then there's the partial criminalization so that means that it's prohibited to work together and also working in streets. So that's illegal. Um, but that just basically means that it happens behind closed doors, 
which makes the sex workers even more vulnerable than mm. they already are. And yeah, because they obviously can't call the cops if someone threatens them or abuses them. Um, yeah, and they would often work. And they would have to work alone. Work alone, work in dark alleys to, mm. yeah. Um, she was even saying that it's un, like surprisingly common for for women to to do this in like dark forests, mm-hmm. like out from the city. Like it's it's just uh, really really dangerous places. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one would be the Swedish or the Nordic model, um, <clears throat> which criminalizes the buyers. And maybe your first thought is, oh. But that's good. Like that the, was that was my thought yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, we're doing it right. I'm from Sweden, mm-hmm. so I was like, this is so good. Like mm-hmm. we're protecting the workers, but we're holding the people mm-hmm. thinking it's okay to buy a body accountable. Yeah. Uh, but it's but like not. over the years, I've just been like mm-hmm. that. That does not actually cut it. Yeah. And she because, said it really yeah. well. It's just kind of like it forces the industry underground basically because mm. the buyers don't want to be obviously caught buying sex um so um it doesn't actually protect the sex workers from abuse it doesn't doesn't do anything for them and yeah it's just more risky for them they possibly have to lower their prices um or what she also said they had to they have to make snap decisions so mm. if they're working in the streets and the uh, car stops um, yeah. They won't be like they won't. They won't wait for like five minutes. They'll no. be like in and out. Yeah. So they can't really assess whether it's a trustworthy. Yeah. Customer. There was so. another thing that she was talking about as well, which was that when she when she had worked in places where it was not uh, criminalized, then she could take the details of her clients, and she would know they were so that she could refer back to them and like especially if they were recurring and and whatever and she could like feel safe in that and they would feel safe in that because that would be fine but if the buyer is according to the law then committing a crime by buying sex then he will be much less willing to provide any information Mm. and will stay completely anonymous so if anything happened and if any any violence were to be involved or if that like money wasn't to be paid then she has absolutely no leverage at all because she doesn't know who she who he is mm. um because he's not disclosed that information because he would be arrested <laughs> if like it's too much yeah. big of a risk okay so if the swedish model doesn't work either then why not legalize it which is actually what some countries did and she called it backdoor criminalization mm. um which I thought was interesting um, because what legalizing basically means is that the sex workers have to do, um, they have to register and they're also forced health care checks. Mm. Um, and maybe like your first thought would be, oh, but that's good. Like it mm. protects them um, and their rights. But she was kind of saying that it's it, it's making sex work legal and illegal at the same time. Because someone who has literally no other option, someone who's desperate for money, won't, like, the registration process takes a while. Uh, yeah. Um, and they won't have time to do that or the health checks because they might actually not pass it. Yeah. So it forces people who are desperate for money to work illegally. Especially, I think, that is 
one example where where it's really apparent the difference between sort of like privileged sex work and Mm -hmm. and genuinely desperate i haven't like this is i need to do this now Mm -hmm. to survive critically yes um sex work and by legalizing a certain specific very narrow type of sex work then obviously yeah what she was saying then that's a just decrim like criminalizing another side of the Mm -hmm. sex work yeah and overall like all of these approaches just pretty much enforce all the stigma and the hatred towards sex workers and i mean they also completely ignore that sex work has always been a survival strategy for mainly minorities and like unpopular minorities that are that are unlikely to get employed for for specifically the reason that trans women disabled women like people who immigrated um people that are already in uh an oppressed situation where mm -hmm. they're unlikely to get a good job and be able to support themselves and Mm -hmm. are not seen and met there by any government or institution Mm -hmm. so they're forced into this and then further criminalized further criminalized for doing which the only thing they could they're basically trapped in like a vicious cycle because like we said once you have a criminal record there's yeah. no way you're getting another job. So then you um, go back to sex so work. So then you go back to sex and work. And you risk getting arrested mm-hmm. again. So, um... <clears throat> I think yeah, as well, it's... like, the... A really important point to make is that... Or at least for me, for a long time, I felt like I was really, really against sex work because I felt like, oh, no, the only way that it, that could be liberating is for women that are fortunate enough to have this as an option like they've chosen this to be mm-hmm. their job but they could do something else mm-hmm. uh, and they're and these these kind of privileged sex worker women like elite sex workers mm-hmm. are kind of like just they're carrying out their pro-sex work activism not taking into consideration the danger of for for all the the women that are actually like dying in the trafficking industry yeah. and, and that I, are not yeah. safe and and, and that that's, that was yeah. my point of view for a long time but then again i i i've learned a lot over over the last few few years and yes yeah, and, and and like this just kind of concludes it really and i i completely understand all the concerns there are about sex trafficking because it's horrific like yes. we cannot stress that enough but we also have to see that forced labor always occurs so we need laws that target those issues and not an entire industry yes the targets forced labor rather mm-hmm. than 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 sex work labor yeah mm-hmm. and also what i kind of wanted to talk about we didn't we kind of touched upon it in the session but i feel like we should also when we talk about sex work, we have to talk about work itself and how it's perceived in society because I feel like there's this whole ideology about work being, like, liberating, healthy, and empowering. Yes. While... Like, you're doing well if you're working. Yeah, exactly. And you're sort of defined by the work that you do. Especially if you're, uh, like, self-employed. Right, Then it's like, that's, whoa, yay, go you. Well, like, in fact, work, let's face it, it's, like, in economic and moral obligation mm. um, that you have to sell your labor in order to survive. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it is. Um, and in the real world, people take all sorts of jobs that they wouldn't have chosen um, out of 
desperation, pretty much, yeah. um, for cash or survival or whatever. And the question is whether um, any worker can ever give any meaningful consent if you're not independently wealthy. Yes. Um, yeah, and just this sort of like laid so you back have to, you attitude. Ten, you technically have yeah. to tackle poverty and make like hand like try as much as possible to not have people end up in a situation where they're so desperate that they need to do to carry out a job that is illegal mm-hmm. um to survive yeah um it's just it kind of like it kind of astounds me how like it is only so like horrific and degrading when we talk about sex labor and yes. not when we co- talk about like any other like jobs that people find degrading yeah. or people are forced to take yeah. cleaning, cleaning jobs, jobs or yeah. you know like slurry I don't know like slaughterhouses the, like, yeah all of that is traumatizing no one un- unless sorry you're a psychopath <laughs> chooses to work yeah. in a slaughterhouse but, like there's so many jobs that people are forced into mm. and they don't want to be there yeah and, and it's dangerous for them and like we can just take I mean Sex trafficking is one thing, but there's also like child labor, sweatshops. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so so much going on, mm. but no one no one is trying to take down the clothes industry. Mm. Like we all like you know, it. But people are still being exploited, and I think that's people's like a lot of people's main issue with with sex work and acknowledging it as work. And the idea of decriminalizing it, um, and the problem people have with it is that it's then fundamentally still catering to to oppression of women mm-hmm. because it because it enables men to buy women's bodies. Yes, it does. But yet again, that doesn't help the situation that at all. That it's always it has always been a thing, and it will always be a thing. So the least, like, the only responsible thing we can do is try to protect the rights of the sex workers. Yes. And the only legal approach who does that is full, like, decriminalization. So, um, yeah, let's just quickly talk about what that is and explain it. So decriminalization basically means that sex work is treated like any other work. So there could be collective working Working spaces, you join a union, right? And the um, bosses are held accountable, um, mm. and it is not the same as um, legalizing it. Um, mm. That's two different things. And an example of where that worked quite well is New Zealand. Um, I think she said that they wrote the law um, together with actual with sex, sex workers, workers who yeah. worked in the industry, who told them about what they need and what they want. Yeah. which is just revolutionary right to bring in people that actually right. know what they're talking about actually bring people into politics who are actually involved and actually um yeah have to deal with the consequences of the law as well yeah. um so yeah sex workers rights matter we have to amplify their voices and um, include them in our conversation and speak with them instead of about them mm. so just to um conclude this um podcast today um She talked a bit about activism and one um, charity or 
the website that I would recommend because Holly recommended it is um, Scott Papp. Their symbol is a red umbrella. And yeah, they're basically what they're doing is they're informing sex workers about their rights. And it's a registered charity dedicated to the promotion of sex workers' rights, um, safety and health. So they're also members of the Global Network of Sex Work Pro Projects, International Committee um, on the Rights of Sex Workers in Europe and the UK Network of Sex Work Projects. So if you're interested in that topic, if you want to find out more, go to their website, Scott Pap, and yeah, if you want to support them, please donate. Um, also, if you are listening to the podcast and, you know, find it interesting and mm. stuff, like put a comment down or even just message us on Facebook. We'd just love to keep the conversation going. Yeah, for the sure. Whole... Like if you, um, yeah, so all we want to do with this podcast is start a conversation, right? Yeah. And this is, we're doing these podcasts because, yeah, it's the start of a conversation, not the end of one. Yeah. It's not what we says goes. Um, so but... if you have any thoughts or issues or whatever, let us know and... Um, yeah, you're always welcome to come on the next podcast and talk about it. Um, yeah, we're so... Our sessions are genuinely just us trying to teach each other and learn together. Mm -hmm. And that's what the podcast kind of like, just an extension of that. Yeah. And the more people that listen and engage, the better. Also, if you've missed a session, I feel like that's a good way to just catch yeah. up on what we've discussed so far. And um, our next session is going to be on Tuesday. Yeah. And I'm actually going to do it. It's going to be my first session. Well, I did one last time, but I wasn't on yeah. the committee then. Um, so it's going to be about the Me Too movement and how it has changed. Um, we're going to talk about the backlash. It's been two years. Yeah. More. It's been two years in October. Yeah, October yeah. 17th. That's when it kicked off. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about that and the future of the movement. So if you're interested in that... Please come along. We would love to have you there. And yes. um, yeah, Tuesday, hopefully room A55. It will be a room A55. system that ah. um, works this time. Um, yeah, at 7. 7 o'clock. 7, 7 p.m. Uh, at Merkston. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. That's, it's incredible to see you guys actually listen. <laughs> to what we have to say. <laughs> okay. Bye. Have a good weekend.